Today's episode is supported by the Smarter E-Europe, Europe's largest platform for the energy industry. It combines the four exhibitions InterSolar, EES, Power2 Drive and EMPower Europe, taking place at Messe München from June the 14th to 16th, 2023. Learn more online at www.thesmarter.de. Hello and welcome to this, the latest episode of the Policy Dispatch from Foresight. I'm your host, Sam Morgan, here to guide you through the complex but fascinating world of the energy transition. Today we're going to be talking all about how the United States intends to decarbonize its road transport fleet and rein in billions of tons of greenhouse gas emissions. Last month, the US Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA, proposed its most ambitious regulations yet on light vehicle standards, which according to projections would mean that more than two-thirds of new sales would have to be zero emission by 2032. Despite flying uh, somewhat under the radar, the EPA plan has been hailed as a momentous milestone in America's climate policy drive, which when coupled with the financial firepower offered by the Inflation Reduction Act, promises to make the US a world leader in green mobility. When you consider that around a third of US emissions, which are the second largest globally only behind China, remember, are from transportation, you begin to realise that these draft regulations are a massive game-changer. Joining me today to pour over the EPA's proposal and make sense about what the agency wants to achieve over the next decade is Stephanie Searle from the International Council on Clean Transportation. Stephanie heads the ICCT's Fuels Programme and is the lead on all things US, so is absolutely the right person to put behind the wheel for this episode. Uh, Before we start our engines, it's time for the foresight quiz question. Today I'm asking you, if the EPA standards are enacted as planned, how many tonnes of CO2 would the shift away from fossil fuel vehicles save the United States? Is it A, 2.3 billion tonnes, B, 3.3 billion, C, 6.3 billion, or D, 7.3 billion? Answer as always at the end. Now, on with the show. So, Stephanie, thank you so much for uh, joining the episode today. I'm really looking forward to learning more about what the US is doing um, in terms of transport policy and discussing what the future likes for these new measures that have just been uh, unveiled. Thanks, Sam. It's great to be here. Um, I guess if we jump straight into the topic of today's show, the EPA proposal that was released um, about three weeks ago at the time of recording of this episode, um, maybe you could give me a sense of how significant these new measures are, these emission standards from the EPA. Um, they seem pretty ambitious, maybe to the uninitiated. Are you impressed by what is on the table here? Maybe you could just give us a quick um, opening take. Yeah, so EPA's proposal is really exciting. For the first time, it puts us on a um, real pathway to get to zero a zero emission transportation sector. Um, combined with EPA's other proposal on heavy duty vehicles, the light duty vehicle rule together will reduce greenhouse gas emissions by 10 billion tons of CO2 and deliver one to two trillion dollars in net benefits for the United States. So it's a very big deal. How how is the auto industry already uh, reacting to this? From what you can tell, I mean, some some manufacturers are already planning to do this by the time that this twenty thirty two deadline would roll around. So, 
maybe is it too optimistic to think that they uh, they think it's great that the regulations are finally going to follow what their business decisions have reflected? Yeah, so I'm glad you brought that up. It's certainly true that um, many automakers have already made similar commitments. We've seen several automakers commit to 50% electric vehicle sales share by 2030. Um, Other automakers have committed to 100% EV sales share by 2035. Um, So this this proposal is in line with the the direction the industry is already going. We've seen a range of reactions from the industry. Some automakers are more supportive uh, or less supportive of the the proposal than others. Um, But it's also complicated by what the administration has been doing on the Inflation Reduction Act, which has been going on at the same time. So right before EPA releases proposal, the U.S. Treasury Department issued new guidance restricting the number of electric vehicle models that would qualify for the Inflation Reduction Act tax credit. Um, And that was something that some automakers were unhappy about. So that that just gets mixed up along with the politics around the proposal. Mm -hmm. Just a lot of mixed signals from different agencies and parts of the administration, I guess, that kind of make it a muddy picture for the industry. Is that fair to say? Um, yes, and I guess what I'm saying is it's it's possible that um, what what some of the automakers are upset about is really more the IRA than than EPA's proposal. Mm-hmm. If we think about um, what this proposal actually is, I mean, I guess over here in Europe. Measures like this are often called something like an internal combustion engine ban or an electric vehicle mandate, so on and so forth, which is not always completely true. Um, is it fair to describe the EPA's proposal like that, or is it more technological neutral, shall we say? Um, so it's certainly not a, a phase out of internal combustion engine vehicles or a ban or anything like that. Um, Differently from Europe, EPA's proposal stops at 2032, and it does not go all the way to zero emissions. Um, it is a technology-neutral performance standard, so automakers have a number of options available to them, and they can choose whichever pathway suits them best um, to, to meet the standard. That being said, uh, for the first time, this standard will require uh, will very likely require automakers to sell increasing um, sales shares of electric vehicles through 2032 because uh, it would be um, extremely difficult, if not impossible, to meet the standards otherwise. And how would this, before we get into sort of the, the likelihood of um, how this proposal would eventually become law, how would this coexist with other measures such as state level action, like in California with its zero emissions uh, mandate, for example, do those two things gel together quite nicely or, or would they kind of counteract one another and maybe, again, cloud the, in, you know, cloud the outlook for industry somewhat in that people would not know where to sell their cars maybe because the dates would be different or the measures would be different? How would that look? So EPA's proposal is very complementary to California's rules. Um, California and the other states that have already adopted the Advanced Clean Cars 2 regulation set the stage for EPA uh, because EPA knows that electric vehicle penetration will already be very high in those states, and that's something that EPA can build on. Um, At the same time, uh, EPA's proposal uh, it's not exactly the same as California's regulation, but it it is going in the same direction um, and gets to fairly similar levels of electric vehicle penetration across the different years. That gives more certainty to automakers because now they know they don't only have to are, are they're not only going to be selling um, 
high electric vehicle sales shares in California and other ACC two states, uh, but but they'll be doing that across the country, and and so it's a it's a positive thing for um, the the federal standards to be you know very roughly in line with what the states are doing. If we just kind of look at how these kind of proposals have been um, tackled in the past, the EPA pr- proposes something, and then of course the legislative process has its way with it, and it's inevitably diluted slightly, or even to a great extent in some cases. Um, much like here in Europe, the European Commission will say something, and then once it's passed through the the process, it's a lot less ambitious normally. Um, how do you think? How do you see this current proposal going? Are we still in the same world? That the previous set of measures was published under, where you know lawmakers will not want to respect the ambition of what the EPA has said, or do you think that there's more fertile ground, shall we say, for um, something quite ambitious to come out of this when it's finally a law? Yeah, first of all, it doesn't always get weakened. So the last time uh, EPA did a proposal like this, it was a redo of the 2023 to 2026 standards. Um, the rule actually got significantly strengthened from pro- proposal to final. Uh, so EPA went more ambitious when they finalized the rule. Um, here, I mean, the proposal is already, it's a huge win for climate, uh, which is one of President Biden's most important goals for uh, his his first term in office. Um, and so I think it's going to be important to the administration to, to finalize something ambitious. Um, the, I mean, the politics is always are complicated. There's going to be interests on on both sides. The environmental movement, of course, is going to be supportive of the rule. Um, the oil industry is obviously going to be against it. And, you know, as I said before, the automakers kind of have mixed reactions um, to, to the rule. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the Inflation Reduction Act earlier. Um, it's, you know, it's got everybody scared over here in Europe and other parts of the world for, you know, whether or not they can access these subsidies and the effect it will have on, on global supply chains and so on and so forth. Do you see all of that taken into account, the IRA being a net kind of positive for what the EPA is trying to achieve here in that all of the money has kind of been thrown at the wall. And even though there are these tweaks going on about who can access subsidies, which countries get access, um, it's a really solid foundation in which to build something like this. Or do you think that there are kind of loopholes still open that could undermine these standards, perhaps? The Inflation Reduction Act absolutely is a strong foundation upon which EPA is building with this proposal. Um, and it's something that we know EPA has explicitly taken into account when they decided how to how to propose the standards. Um, so the Inflation Reduction Act, uh, it financially supports electric vehicle sales. It helps manufacturers, it helps consumers, um, and it makes it, uh, it just makes it more, more feasible um, to achieve more ambitious standards at a lower cost. I mean, there are so many pieces of legislation, obviously, that, that govern the road transport sector. This is going to be one of them um, for light vehicles, light duty vehicles. Um, maybe you could tell a bit about fuel economy standards as well. I understand that that is going to be something that is going to be updated by the, the federal government as well. Um, are those two things going to be able to be complementary to one another as well? Or is there a risk that there could be um, friction between those two sets of rules as well? Um, yeah, so that's a good question. Uh, the the fuel economy standards are set by a different agency. And as far as we understand, that agency is 
planning to work on updating those rules for 20, model year 2027 and beyond. In the past, um, EPA and, and has always worked closely with the other agency to make sure that the greenhouse, EPA's greenhouse gas standards and the fuel economy standards were aligned, um, you know, to not give conflicting signals to automakers. There's been a lot of questions about whether they would be able to do that this time because there's different requirements for the fuel economy standards and how they should be set in particular how they can take adv- take account of electric vehicle penetration and so right now I'd say, I'd say that's still an open question whether the fuel economy standards are going to be able to be um, well aligned with with EPA's greenhouse gas standards or whether it's going to look different this time um, but in any case, uh, it's really a, a great thing that EPA has gone forward and proposed these ambitious greenhouse gas standards uh, to give everyone certainty about the pace of the transition to electric vehicles. We've been talking mostly about um, light duty vehicles, passenger car transport for now. Um, you mentioned heavy duty vehicles before. Um, what does the EPA's work on that look like? And I, I noted last week that um, California announced this uh, 2036 deadline for zero emission trucks or something along this line, right? Um, are, are those two um, pieces of legislation and their approach to those sectors of the transport sector um, also complementary in the same way that light duty vehicles looks like it's going to be as well? Or is there a little bit more of a disconnect there? Um, yes. Yeah, so EPA, uh, at the same day they released the light duty vehicle standards, also released um, new proposed greenhouse gas standards for heavy duty vehicles. Um, and, uh, you know, we're, we're very glad they, that they did this. Uh, heavy duty vehicles account for a very significant share of transportation emissions. And it is both feasible and important that we move to electrification of heavy duty vehicles as well. So it's really good that EPA um, released a proposal for this. Um, I would say the proposal is less ambitious than the light duty proposal. It uh, again, it's a technology neutral performance standard, but EPA estimates that the most cost effective way the industry would have for complying with heavy duty proposal would be uh, to sell um, 25 to 50 percent electric vehicles across the different segments of heavy duty vehicles by 2032. So that's compared with 60 their predicted 67 percent electric vehicle sales share for 20 for light duty vehicles by 2032. Um, so less ambition on electrification and the 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 pace of the standards on the heavy duty side. But again, um, you know, seeing progress there is a very positive thing. Um, on heavy duty, EPA's proposal is, let's say, more out of sync with California than on light duty. On light duty, they're they're actually uh, you know pretty close. Um, but another important thing is that for the first time, EPA is including medium duty vehicles in the light duty vehicle rule and has also proposed standards for that category. So medium duty vehicles here are um, things like Amazon delivery vans and larger pickup trucks that often are carrying passengers but are larger than um, what EPA typically regulates as light duty vehicles. And uh, so that was in the light duty vehicle rule. And interestingly, EPA's uh, standards for these were actually more ambitious than California's. So EPA went uh, went ambitious with the medium duty vehicles, which was really exciting to see. The medium duty vehicles are being regulated for the first time, or they were classed as heavy duty vehicles before. They were. Um, I you know I believe that uh, the industry was given the choice about whether to um, uh, uh, w- whether to comply with the heavy duty standards or the light duty standards regarding medium duty vehicles. 
And generally, they did so with the heavy-duty vehicle standards in the past. Um, again, I, I believe that I'm not entirely sure. So this is the first time that medium-duty vehicles, um, that EPA is requiring them to be classed with the light-duty vehicles. Today's episode is supported by the Smarter E-Europe, Europe's largest platform for the energy industry. It combines the four exhibitions Intersolar, EES, Power2 Drive, and EMPower Europe, taking place at Messe München from June the 14th to 16th, 2023. Learn more online at www.thesmarter.de. If we kind of take a, you know, we, we look forward uh, a couple of years in our crystal ball or something like that, um, the latest figures, I believe, for the US show that about 6% of the US light duty fleet is, is electric. Um, if implemented with the EPA, what they've proposed, that would top out at something like two thirds by 2032, according to the, the figures that I saw. Is that feasible in your view? Or, or do you think that um, a lot of other pieces of the jigsaw have to be put in place for that even to become a, a slight reality? So both. It's absolutely feasible. It will require other pieces of the jigsaw puzzle to be put in place, but that is also feasible. Um, so, you know, one important factor uh, is that electric vehicles have been more expensive than gasoline vehicles, but the costs are very quickly coming down. And the uh, one major driver here is that the cost of producing batteries has been coming down. Um, and so we expect to see that trend continue. Uh, our research at ICCT has shown that in most cases, electric passenger vehicles will be cheaper than gasoline passenger vehicles um, before 2030. Uh, and and as early as around 2025 in some cases, and that's even before we consider incentives. So the the IRA tax credit coming in will make those vehicles really accessible for consumers in the in the very near future. So that's one really important consideration, and and we're seeing that you know the trend going in the right direction. Electric vehicle costs already coming down. Um, another thing that needs to be put in place is, of course, the charging infrastructure, um, and uh, that it has been partially built out. Is it the existing infrastructure enough to support 67% electric vehicle sales share? Uh, no, it's not there yet, but it is being built out. Um, importantly, the bipartisan infrastructure law that was passed in, I believe, 2021 um, allocated $7.5 billion towards building out that infrastructure. And the private industry is making um, commitments and investment on top of that. So, for example, BP has um, announced that it, it plans to invest a billion dollars in charging infrastructure in the U.S. Um, and so I, I do expect that we're going to see that charging infrastructure be built out. And having the EPA standards um, it proposed uh, and, and hopefully soon finalized presents a blueprint for the charging infrastructure industry on how quickly that needs to be built. So that's one really positive thing about the standards. And just in terms of inf charging infrastructure, um, where does the US stand in terms of things like um, standardized plugs and um, payment options and this kind of thing, the really you know um, detailed stuff that is only really just starting to be ironed out in different markets because there's suddenly a critical mass of people who actually need these these infrastructure options? Uh, or is that something else that also needs to be improved upon and, and done better? So that's something that's already moving in the right direction. It has been um, a bit of a mess in the past with different types of plugs, different types of payment options, but the industry is moving in the direction of standardizing the plugs and standardizing the payment options 
um, installing credit card readers, et cetera. So that's something that we're already seeing uh, being addressed. If we take what the, the EPA has proposed and how the US market currently looks in general and compare that with, um, should we say, Europe first, um, where there are new emission standards in place here now and um, alter, you know, alternative fuel infrastructure directives and all these kind of things, um, which of the two do you think is better set up for the e-mobility future that we, we kind of need to stick to climate targets and things in your view? Do you think that they're, they're two very different approaches that we possibly can't predict the result of yet? Um, or do you think that one has taken a, a slightly better approach, shall we say? So far, Europe and China have both got the U.S. schooled on electric vehicle sales. Uh, in 2022, the U.S. was at 7%. Uh, Europe was at 23%, China was at 26%. So just massively higher electric vehicle sales shares and, and success in the the trans in the, the electric vehicle transition in Europe and China um, compared to the US over the last few years. Um, and that's why EPA's proposal is so exciting because it will put us in line with uh, with Europe and China. The targets in the proposal um, are are pretty much in line with the uh, Europe's proposal that goes out to zero emission in 2035 um, and will make us competitive with China as well in terms of electric vehicle sales. So uh, both approaches can work and the EPS proposal along with the IRA, along with the state programs um, will be uh, effective at getting us into the same ballpark as, as Europe and China and, uh, and making the US more competitive in electrification globally. Just viewed from from this side of the Atlantic, it it seems like what the EPA has done hasn't been particularly celebrated or been given maybe the due that it deserves. I know that it still hasn't crossed the finishing line altogether, but you know it's a big statement. Um, is that true also where you are as well, where it's kind of flown under the radar, or or is it being given more attention than than we would possibly interpret over here? Uh, no, I think you're right, and I think it's a shame. Um, I think the administration could have taken more of a victory lap around this. Uh, the messaging has kind of gotten away from the administration, um, and uh, it's really too bad because this proposal is is very exciting. Um, it's going to bring huge benefits to U.S. citizens and consumers, uh, make the U.S. more competitive globally, um, and those are all things that uh, I think the administration could do a better job celebrating and um, and doing outreach on. If we just switch back to, to what Europe is doing at the moment compared to the US, we've, we've had this rather, I find it bizarre, um, debate about e-fuels and synthetic fuels recently where Germany wanted them included in the, the standards going forward and then other countries were against that and so on. And it's still going on and everything. Um, is there a similar kind of uh, parallel in the US as well with these e-fuels or is there a bit more of an acceptance that zero emission. It doesn't mean it has to be electric battery, but that's what the market wants. That's where we're going. You know, we don't need to complicate things, shall we say. We are definitely hearing much less about e-fuels in the United States compared to Europe. Um, and to be honest, the e-fuels debate in Europe never made much sense to me um, just because it is an extraordinarily expensive way to decarbonize road transport, especially passenger vehicles. Um, so, you know, as I just mentioned, electric vehicles are soon going to be cheaper to buy than gasoline vehicles. Um, and if you consider also the fuel savings 
uh, and policy incentives um, in the United States, they're they're probably already cheaper to buy and operate um, than gasoline vehicles. So electric vehicles, absolutely a cost-effective option to decarbonize. E-fuels, on the other hand, tremendously expensive, and there's no way to get around that. Um, no one is really selling e-fuels now, and if they were, it would be uh, t- around $10 a gallon in the United States, uh, about $3 per liter um, in the EU before you consider fuel taxes, uh, because it's it's just a really inefficient process, uses so much electricity, um, which is expensive to produce, um, to, to make this fuel that then is combusted uh, very inefficiently with an internal combustion engine vehicle. So we've looked at this, we found that e-fuels are just a tremendously more expensive decarbonization pathway for road transport than electrification. So I don't see why the manufacturers have been interested in this pathway at all. And um, that may, exp- may be why it's not really coming up in the United States. I am yet to find uh, an expert in, in several fields who uh, says anything contrary to what you've said. It, it's, it continues to be somewhat of a bizarre area of discussion to me that uh, it doesn't matter who you talk to, e-fuels really aren't that appealing to anybody um if we we kind of think about um achieving this you know two-thirds market share of evs or zero emission vehicles whatever by 2032 could you see something like a resurrection of these cash for clunkers schemes and and car scrappage schemes that we've seen in the past where suddenly you aren't getting a um a purchase subsidy it's a, a switching subsidy or something like that where any future administration is going to have to think about new policy instruments in order to either convince people to switch to electric or make the transition slightly easier and not just rely on on the cheapness of the market to allow people to do this. Do you think there's room for that kind of um, instrument in the future? Um, yeah. So first of all, scrappage has nothing to do with EPA's proposal. Um, EPA's proposal is, is just about the... Um, the new vehicles that are being sold and, and, and the requirements on automakers. Um, the, you know, some people argue that switching as quickly as EPA has proposed to electrification is not by itself going to be enough to align us with our climate goals. Um, and there's a, you know, a point there and that if we need to um, decarbonize the transport sector faster, scrappage is, is one of the few options available. Um, so it is something that I think could crop up in the future as a measure that is separate and on separate from EPA's standards. Um, and I, you know, I guess I wouldn't be t- terribly surprised, but it is uh, obviously a relatively expensive and um, and complicated kind of program to implement. Mm-hmm. You already mentioned how China is doing; it's it's leading the way, and hopefully, these EPA proposals will. Um, bring the US on a somewhat equal foot in at some point in the future. Um, what is there it about what China is doing that has really given it the success? And is there anything that the US can sort of learn from that and also do the same? Is the EPA already doing much of what uh, China has done to achieve the success? Or are there other things that, you know, we, we all know that China's uh, way of doing things in economy is rather unique and not always completely um replicatable in other markets, but is there anything in China that could also be done in the US? Um, yeah, so so China does have electric vehicle targets, but has actually already uh, has been far exceeding them. Um, China has a, a, 
a target for 20% electrification by 2025, but they're already at 26% in 2022. Um, so they've, they've exceeded their standards. Uh, China's success has been from throwing incentives at electric vehicles. And I think that's what we're, we're um, learning from them in uh, extending the electric vehicle tax credit in the IRA. So that's, that's a major tool that alongside EPA standards is, is what we need to catch up to China. If we could just sort of like round off the episode with like talking about timeline, because I mean, in Europe, things move so slowly and suddenly it's law. Um, the US works slightly differently, of course. Um, if you look back on how the EPA has gone about this before and the amount of time it took for um, lawmakers to sign that into law, um, I know you've got an election coming up next year, which is obviously going to interrupt things perhaps. Um, can you put like a, an optimistic timeline on how long it will take for the EPA to get the sign off on these? Or, or do you think it's just too difficult to, to really put a date on that yet? Um, so EPA has already put on their calendar that they'd like to finalize the heavy duty proposal by uh, the end of December 2023 and the light duty rule by March 2024. Um, so EPA already has a, a calendar for these things that they've made some commitment to. Um, it is really important to finalize both rules before we really get into the swing of election season in 2024, um, which often starts in the late winter, early spring of that year. So we're hoping that EPA decides to move faster on the light duty um, rule and get it finalized by the end of 2023 before election season gets underway. That would really be ideal. Um, but that's not not. I, I don't think unrealistic. EPA typically does finalize these kinds of rules about a year after the, they're proposed. So um, I don't think that these timelines are going to get massively dragged out. Mm-hmm. I always like to end these episodes by asking um, my guests about how optimistic they are about their specific part of the energy transition piece of the, the pie. You know, um, Are you more optimistic about... Um, road transport and its contribution to climate change and also its potential contribution to climate action um, in the wake of these proposals? I think from the tone of the episode, your answer is probably yes, but um, maybe you could compare how you felt before these proposals were were unleashed um, to now. And is it really, you know, a real sea change in in how this sector is going to be regulated for the better? I am I am absolutely optimistic about our potential to decarbonize the road sector in the United States. Um, we're seeing the market go in that way with uh, electric vehicles becoming cheaper and cheaper. We're seeing the industry moving that way, producing more electric vehicle models and making commitments uh, to electrification. We're seeing the charging infrastructure being built out. Um, and we've been seeing the the policies being put in place, uh, so the IRA, the, the state policies like California's, um, and so seeing EPA's proposal right right in line with all those other trends and supporting them, um, you know, really gives me the hope that uh, that the electric vehicle transition is is going to be well supported. So yes, I'm I'm very optimistic. Fantastic. I always like to end the show on that note rather than a a downcast tone that sometimes is the case in other sectors. Um, Stephanie, thank you so much for your time. I really enjoyed this episode learning about the the EPA process and and also about where road transport is going in the US. It really does sound like it has a rather bright future eventually at the end of the tunnel. Wonderful. Thanks, Sam, so much for having me. It was a pleasure. As Stephanie and I discussed in the show, it is somewhat surprising that such a promising policy with so much potential to boost climate action and industry 
has gone relatively unnoticed. But thanks to us here at Policy Dispatch HQ, uh, you definitely know about it now, don't you? We'll be back soon with another episode on another issue intrinsically linked to the energy transition. Before I take my leave, the answer to the quiz question, how many tonnes of CO2 would the EPA plan shave off US emissions according to agency projections? Well done to those of you that correctly said, 7.3 billion. That figure is more than the annual output of all the lower middle income countries in the world put together. Powerful stuff. Thank you again for tuning in. We really appreciate your support. Please check out Foresight's other podcasts, as well as the latest edition of the magazine. Details about how to access and subscribe are on the website, foresightdk.com. And ciao until next time.